0: all right guys welcome to another episode of e4 explicit podcast i'm Corey, and today we have for a third time and a second time uh Anthony davies and james harrigan from arizona i still you're still in arizona right james and then oh, yeah. um you're in aren't you in pittsburgh uh,
1: Anthony? pittsburgh duquesne pittsburgh. university
0: yes so thank you again for coming on and i think it's like an ideal time to talk to two experts in your lanes because of everything it's kind of going on so um i just wanted to touch base on everything moving since we talked last time and um you guys were pretty much spot on last time we talked you you pretty much predicted the election you pretty much predicted what was going to happen and we're still in those those predictions really i mean they were spot on which blew my mind i was so certain trump was going to win i was like 100 i was like there's no way like biden can't even talk Blah blah. blah. and next thing you know it's not the case but um first off i just wanted to kind of talk real quick i know it's a little bit dated but the uh the uh the attack on capitol hill and and stuff like that i was wondering i was curious of your guys take about that situation and kind of like now what's happening with the second impeachment and and kind of who really should should be or if anybody should be kind of held accountable at a higher power not just the people that were doing it if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I, I can't speak to who should be held accountable. Um, I don't know enough details. But what struck me is the hypocrisy of the whole thing. You know, we had these riots in Seattle and, you know, destroying property, and a couple of people died. We had the riots in, in um, Capitol Hill, same kind of thing. And and we had politicians, and there were a whole bunch of them, but Kamala Harris stands out as being, you know, our new vice president, who went on the news at the Seattle riots, saying these people are not going to stop, and they shouldn't. And then at the Capitol Hill riots, saying, you know, this has got to stop immediately. And granted, there are different motivations behind each of the riots, and, and that's not unimportant from one perspective. But from another perspective, they're both, they're both in terms of outcome are the same thing. You've got people who are, who are annoyed in taking out their their, their anger on, uh, on, on innocent people and on property. And either that's a good thing to do or it isn't, but it's not good in one place and bad in another.
2: Yeah, and I'll follow that up, Ant, by, by just saying that it's been very clear for, I think, decades that we've got a double standard, uh, at least in the way the press presents certain things, and maybe even as a result, the way that we interpret certain things. And when we see um, leftist organizations making a mess of things out out in the West, we the news media tends to see that and say, well, they they're doing this for a good cause because their interests all align with the interests of the media. where where pie in the in the east right when they take over the Capitol Hill in Washington DC, that in no way links up with the, the journalist who covers that sort of thing with with their, ideas and, and and their beliefs, so all of a sudden we present it very differently there, and you're going to see that a lot in, in the Biden administration, right? You already see it. where He's being treated with kid gloves, and it's almost a fawning on the part of the media. Um, no Republican will ever get that kind of treatment, and Trump especially would never get that kind of treatment. Now, I'm not a big Trump fan, and I do, I do think he is largely responsible for the riot that we saw, but the press has some has something to account for here and unless they do it sometime soon you can expect the same kind of results down the road and and we're we're talking about hypocrisy here
1: and i i think it's important to point out that the left doesn't have a monopoly on hypocrisy we've seen it Recently, on the other side as well, you know, some time ago, uh, people on the right were saying with regard to the the baker out in in the west that uh, he should not be required to bake a cake for gay marriage. This is, it's a private business, and he should be free to do what he wants with his private business. But then, when Facebook starts um, censoring people on the right, all of a sudden th- this is a free speech violation. No, it's not. Facebook is a private company. If if the principle of I can do what I want with my property applies to the baker, then it applies to Facebook as well. If it doesn't apply to the baker, then it doesn't apply to Facebook.
0: Right, I totally agree with that. That's that kind of is it brings me to my next kind of topic with all these executive orders. And you talk about hypocrisy. Like, I feel like that's like just just today or yesterday. Like the travel ban, he let the travel ban slide. Biden did, and now he's reinstating. The travel bans and it's kind of in the media from what i've seen it's been like applauded and praised and you know a year ago when it was done it was met with you know racism and all these things that you know that we're not seeing today and i don't know if that's obviously i think the media like you said james is kind of like probably the main thing that's really pushing people's agendas and like what we're taking in and kind of leaving it to interpret ourselves which You know isn't the best idea but i was just kind of like seeing the same things happening in similar administrations and anthony you mentioned this in one of your posts the other day of like there's not really that much different happening in the administration (laughs) i got
1: so much flack for that post (laughs) but if you break it
0: down it's kind of
1: you're not wrong (laughs) no in terms of i mean clearly there are differences but but in terms of the big things that that, that, um, that occupy our minds. You know, Guantanamo Bay, less so now, but it was a huge thing uh, a decade or so ago. Guantanamo Bay you know, interfering with, with um, in, in other countries militarily, the debt, it goes on and on, the, the millions of Americans who are, who are imprisoned for victimless crimes. It doesn't matter whether your president is Democrat or Republican, these problems persist. And, and and it's not even a matter of well, we had a president there who wanted to do the right thing, but Congress stood against him. They persist even when the Demo- when the president and the Congress are the same party.
2: Right, and uh, you know, I, w- I was like Nostradamus with some predictions on this with this last uh, this last election, right? Because it's pretty simple to to point out that every four years, people line up behind this one and that one. And they claim that their guy has all the right answers and everything out of the other guy's mouth is stupid. Meanwhile, I keep pointing out that no matter who we elect, we get the same outcomes. So who, who of us is, is more due for a refresher course on how government works? And I, I think you look at the true believers on either side and they're wholly unreasonable. They expect things that will literally never happen. We have all kinds of verifiable evidence that it never happens, and yet every four years, I'm right back to the same thing with these people. And it's enough to make you crazy.
1: Yeah, and on, on this, this post that I made that created this storm, um, that's a lot of people's responses were along the lines of what James is saying. They were saying, no, this is gonna be different. Look at what Biden has promised to do. He promised to do this, this, and this said, so don't tell me what he promised to do. Tell me what he actually does, because Trump right. promised to do a lot. Obama promised to do a lot. Clinton promised to do a lot.
2: Yeah. yeah. And, you know, in my lifetime, I think one president was successful at this, and it, it was Reagan. And that was 1988 when he left office. And we haven't seen the likes of him again. So, you know, draw your own conclusions, but at least take history into account
0: right yeah no that's something that i learned the first time i talked to anthony was um the i was so surprised of how the government actually is supposed to work you think that you know and i think it's james you mentioned this last time is it's ridiculous to think that someone can go in in four years change you know the ship 180 degrees it's it's impossible and everybody complains of, Oh, my, my president's going to go in there and do this and do that. And I remember Anthony telling me like, that's not how government's supposed to work. It's supposed to be slow. It's supposed to, you know, take a long time for things to happen. So someone can't just go in and, you know, essentially fuck shit up and just do what their you know, lobbyists or people behind them want them to do immediately, which I think that's what we're kind of seeing here, aside from these executive orders that are just like, he, I mean, he did like 30 in one day, um, Which, you know, I I think those are like little things that are just kind of like padding him a little bit to make him look like he's doing all these great things so quickly to kind of like reverse everything Trump did. Whether that's bad or good, we don't know yet. But I just find it so fascinating that like that that it's people conceive government is like supposed to be quick and work fast and work for us. But it's the complete opposite. Right. That's right.
2: It's our government was designed to be inefficient. It it, it creates a, a situation in which people who occupy the governing institutions are always fighting each other. Right? They each have a different institutional um, incentive to behave in a certain way. And, the, and they almost always go for it because people want to conserve what little power they have and they, they don't want to end up losing it to another political branch. Um, but the end result is that you get a phenomenally... Uh, difficult government within which to to play right whatever you want to do people like me say isn't that great thinking that okay that keeps us away from brown shirts and and things like this people who want to govern other people on the other hand think it's terrible right they they wish it could just be streamlined for my money it's been streamlined too much already I I would like to see us walk it back a bit. And executive orders are a nice example, right? Um, I'm never going to make the case that a president doesn't have the authority to do it. Uh, Because George Washington did it in the first administration, right? The ink wasn't dry on the Constitution yet when he was doing it. So I think we have to at least look at that and say, okay, maybe. But what about becomes the open question, right? And when you talk about a travel ban, how on earth is that not a legislative function? how do we look at that and think oh no congress has nothing to do with that these things share in the nature of laws for the most part and if they look like laws and and they walk like laws and 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 so on and so forth they're laws and if they are you get the president out of the room he's there to to sign the laws and execute them not to make them and and that's that's really the the difference that we've got right now
1: but so, some of these um executive orders, and I didn't look through all of them, but some of them are window dressing. And I know this from personal experience or firsthand experience. One of the executive orders that Joe Biden signed uh, was requiring that people who are coming into the country be tested and test negative for COVID prior to coming in. I have a friend who came into the country from Scotland, Scotland to UK to, to US, and he arrived in the US the day before Biden was sworn in. And he had to go through this. That, that rule was already in place. The, the Health and Human Services required the negative test before he could come into the country. And so, at least in that one instance, that executive order was simply window dressing. To make it look like I'm fixing problems that that Trump had created, when in fact he was simply saying, "Keep doing what you're doing."
0: Right, right. That's kind of what I, I kind of got from a lot of them because it was some of them were like said to do eight nine months ago that just were never done, and then um, the the what's it called the um, Mitch McConnell and all those guys. It seemed to me that like um, now that the second impeachment's kind of coming along and I don't know if it's true or not that now he's not a president he's not protected or whatever it is but um like I, it seems like Mitch McConnell's kind of like I don't know if he's going to go through with it or not in the Senate but he's kind of doesn't really need Trump anymore because I think he's got the, the they got the they got the uh, Supreme Court kind of fixed up now I think but you know and obviously this is just me being a dumbass and just guessing and kind of just saying things that I see on the news but you know do you think that a second impeachment and actually it go through uh, what happened. And if it did, what would that even mean anyway, since he's not even the president?
2: Okay, here's, here's the thing. It, it, if we proceed with impeachment, take a long look at who's leading the cheer to go impeach him a, sec- a second time and then convict him. Because I can almost, with 100% certainty, guarantee that those people are interested in the 2024 election. What they're trying to do is impeach him so that he can never run for office again. And what does that have the net effect of doing? It it takes him as a competitor off the stage. So you're going to see a number of high-profile Republicans very likely to break ranks on this and vote to convict because they're going to run for president, and the last thing they want is an ex-president that they have to run against. So, of course it does, which is exactly why it's going to happen. Right. If it doesn't happen, it's that their calculations were such that they didn't think he was going to cause them any, any bit of a threat in, in the upcoming election. So that's it. If they think he can retake the office, they will vote to convict. If they think it's just a kind of a sad clown show, they'll let it go. But it's all going to be about what people think is going to happen in terms of the next election. If I were running for president in 2024, which, by the way, I am, we'll talk about that later. Um, If I were running as a Republican in 2024, I would do everything I could to take a a thousand chunks out of him because he's going to have the, he's going to have the benefit of a four year presidency running for the office. And by four years time, we're all going to be a little sick and tired of Joe Biden, right? And it's going to be an easier race for a Republican next time than it was this time.
0: Right. Do you think that it would be smart for uh, my girl Tulsi to switch sides and go Republican since she's more in the middle than any any person and in the, in the DNC hates her anyways?
2: Yeah, I think she's actually kind of crazy with a lot of her, her positions. A lot of the rest of them are perfectly reasonable. And it seems that we're being prepared for a Justin Amash ticket that probably includes her. Wow. And it would because, be...
1: It- <clears throat> It would be really interesting if it were a mosh Republican gabbard Democrat on the same ticket.
2: Yeah, that's right. Has and that Anthony advised uh you know, my presidential history isn't up to snuff. I wanna say yes, but I can't point to the exact times it happened. But there's nothing <clears throat> prohibiting it. No. There's nothing no, prohibiting
1: could... it and and <clears throat> it, it would serve to it would serve as a rallying point for a lot of uh people who are tired of the of the um the, the, the uh, the back and forth between the two parties.
2: Yeah, and Ant and I, I don't remember which of the Democrats was that we were thinking at the time, but we we opined Romney early on. It was Mitt Romney. Yeah, so we have, we thought maybe Mitt Romney and Tulsi Gabbard would make a very compelling ticket, and I'm I'm still thinking down that line. I, Romney might not be the right guy. He was in the last election. He would have done quite well if he had worked as a third party there. Um, or even if he tried to primary Trump out of it. But but the and Gabbard I, angle is interesting.
1: I'm not a fan by any means of, of unified government in that sense, but the divisiveness has gone on for so long that if we could have a reasonable Democrat and a reasonable Republican on the same ticket, I think it would be healing for the country.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. And and Tulsi Gabbard makes me nervous, but she doesn't make me any more nervous than anybody else that's looking
0: for that office. right. Yeah, that's that's kind of that was my take on her. She was like the kind of like she did have some crazy ideas and stuff like that, but most of her stuff was kind of like mid level playing field. But she just wasn't like that's why I asked you guys in the last time we talked of I was I you guys knew he was going to pick Kamala Harris. You wanted him to pick Rice, I think it was, um, not not Condoleezza Rice, the no, other Condoleezza Rice would no Condoleezza. Oh yeah, but then oh the, there was in there another Rice susan yeah susan right so but bit of a lunatic yeah yeah right and she also got the fall big time for i think the the hillary thing um benghazi or whatever but um anyways the I was i saying the um kamala was just a bigger name right so a lot of people are saying like Biden's obviously kind of maybe losing his mind or whatever it is. And is this just kind of like the best and easiest way to get a woman into pres into the presidency? And, you know, if he goes eight years, I don't think he will last a full eight years, like just he- like health wise, um, you know, is this, you know what I mean? Like would that kind of allow her to just steamroll it and kind of like take over or, or is, do you think in four years, it's we're going to see another kind of gigantic shift? Well,
2: you know, who knows, I don't think Kamala Harris added much to the ticket, right? And and his numbers didn't spike after he picked her. So it was kind of a, a zero a net zero effect for picking her as the VP. I don't <clears throat> I hate talking about things like this. <clears throat> Excuse me. But um, you know, it may be the case that Joe Biden is too old to to see two terms. And, you know, if, if he dies in office, she goes right to the to the Oval Office. If if he doesn't die in office, it's hard for me to imagine another path for her that gets her into the presidency. Right? She's just not liked. Most people don't trust her all that much, right? Um, only I think Joe Biden thinks better of her than anybody else in the country, because I I was not impressed when he picked her, and I don't know anybody else who was.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, I I get it wanting a female candidate, but there were far far better female candidates. We're back and, to Condoleezza you know, Rice, yeah, yeah, it, well, yeah, and even on the stage, when Gabbard, I think, was was interesting, but um, but Kamala Harris has a has a um, bad history of right. you know throwing people, particularly minorities, into jail for victimless crimes,
2: right? And, and she's very know, proud of it.
1: it, right? Exactly. I was going to say you could say, well, it was her job, but on the other hand, yeah. she seemed to enjoy it quite a bit.
2: She did, and, and that's the that that's the kind of thing that you should be ashamed of.
1: If you if you take away the the female aspect of it, so imagine a twenty twenty four race with Kamala Harris at the top of the Democratic ticket, and a female at the top of the Republican ticket, I think now her faults come out to the fore.
0: Sure, for sure, yeah. But only, but only then, right? right. Only then, yeah. I, and speaking of hypocrisy, I thought it was kind of odd and funny. It's great; it's a it's a first woman vice president, but you know, she wasn't she a cop
2: yeah and then attorney general in california which is when she did the the bulk of her damage right
0: so i just thought it was so funny that like left anti cop anti this anti that and then now in in the basically the highest office on the planet we have a former police officer which is just kind of it is what it is but i just thought it was just yeah, funny
2: i i don't know that she ever was a police officer that would be i should know that but i don't to look into. I
0: thought she, st- I thought she was a cop from what uh, things that I've seen and I've read. But once again, don't believe everything you read and see. But if that's true, that's crazy. Um, so that's what I was going to ask about as far as like terms, right? So the president, well, I don't know what year it was when Congress came together and said, okay, you get two terms of four years, right? Yeah, it's a constitutional amendment. Oh shit! All right, so a <laughs> long time ago. Uh, why yeah, that was is that
1: after FDR?
0: Okay. Why wasn't that? Why isn't that the case with with the like congressmen and women? Like they can basically sit forever, right?
2: Yeah, they they can, and it was the Supreme Court of the United States made that determination, right? When when term limits became an issue, uh, probably what fifteen years ago, twenty years ago now, twenty, um, the Supreme Court weighed in on this, and there there was no way to make those constitutional. Apart from having an amendment, so it was plan, It was um, term lim- U.S. term limits v. Thornton was the case that they did this in the, the year escapes me, but whenever somebody says, "Oh, these we need to have term limits," they're just proving to you that they don't do much reading because it's literally impossible to have term limits. Um, you can't do it. If to do it, it would take the amendment. Nobody ever talks about the amendment. So you, you come to realize pretty early on that anybody who's throwing mud around this idea of term limits is just looking for attention. right? That They have to know that it's not possible. Three seconds on Google tells you that it's unconstitutional. So then you ask the second question, why on earth is everybody agitating for this? And the answer is that the people kind of like hearing that stuff. Right? Uh, we have a, a perpetually dim view of Congress. If you look at public opinion research done on Congress, they get about an 18% approval rating on a pretty good day. And then, a, and then a very weird thing happens. You poke at the people a little bit and say, okay, what about your congressman? And then the answer is almost universally, my congressman is fine, it's all the other ones. And, <laughs> and you realize that as a matter of logic, that's not possible. And yet that's, that's where we end up. So, you know, there, there's where we are. People become a little irrational, a little unreasonable, but kind of predictable.
1: Well, yeah, and, and I, I, would, I would phrase it differently, James. I think it's perfectly rational when we understand what, we've, what we have over time come to ask government to do. What we ask it to do is to take things away from other people and give it to me. Give
2: them to us. And so
1: from that perspective, I love my congressman. He's going to be giving me stuff. But I hate all the other ones. They're the ones who are going to take it away.
2: And, you know, look, I know where you guys live. You've probably driven through West Virginia. Literally everything in that state is named after Robert Byrd, right? The senator who brought all the money back to West Virginia. The, The entire, I'm surprised the state isn't
0: named after him. (laughs)
2: <laughs> but there, there you are right so and i think Ant, you're right we do expect certain things and we don't want certain other things
0: right so and and so that's why someone like uh pelusi can be i i just look at it as like like as another human like okay if someone started office when they were in their 30s and they're still in office when they're 60s and 70s their views probably haven't changed they're still the same type of person they're just going with what other people in the public are approving of and saying, I just think, I just think it's interesting and, and kind of baffles me that that's even a thing, but that makes sense. Right. And
2: you know, when, when you look at re election rates, they're, they're pretty damn good. <clears throat> it's not, yeah, no, I wouldn't mind having that kind of job security, but in the end, it's still the voters. That's the last thing in the, in the chain. And if you can prevail upon them, they will vote differently, but most people can't do it. So there you go.
0: That's so funny when you think of it like that. I never even thought of it like if you just make it, it when it does come down to votes, these people are still in there for a reason. So that's right.
2: And and look at what happens, right? Robert Byrd starts bringing all that pork back to West Virginia. And people say, go, Robert, go get us some more. And before you know it, there's not even a Republican opposition, right? Robert Byrd wins by acclamation every six years or so. And that happens with the congressman as well. Right, if as long as they're doing just enough of the things their constituency wants, they'll get reelected, regardless of how destructive what they want is to the rest of the country.
1: God damn, man. And and you and we come we come now as we do repeatedly to to the reason why a constitution is so incredibly important.
0: Right. Because
1: because we're it's human nature that we're going to end up where we ended up, which is, I want my congressman to bring me as much as, as he possibly can. I want other congressmen not to take from me. And the you get there if you don't have a constitution that says the federal government may not do the following things. And we've just completely ignored ours. And hence, this is the problem we have now. And, right. and Co- it spills over into the economics, our $28 trillion debt. It spills over uh, societally. The division between us, we're at each other's throats precisely because we have allowed the federal government to grow so large that it intrudes on every portion of our lives.
2: Yeah, and, and we didn't have to do that. There are interesting ways to avoid doing that. But I want to say, look, even with a constitution, it only took about 110 years or so to get where we got. Right? Well, maybe maybe 130 and now we're there and there's no getting away from it, right? But think about it this way. Think about how incentives work and what you would want to incentivize your your governing authorities to do. And let's say that we all stipulate that we should have a balanced budget. That's not crazy talk. That's something that should have happened from day one, right? We always should have had a balanced budget because that's what responsible people do. Okay, they're irresponsible, they're not gonna do that. I propose the following, if they don't, offer us a balanced budget which is signed by the president into law everybody goes to jail you, you would see their behaviors change on a dime they would act completely <laughs> right. differently the, that next day all of American life would change so that's what you've got to do you've got to align the incentives correctly and the incentives now are aligned uh, in such a way that the congressmen really have to start worrying about their re-election the day after they're elected that's when the next campaign starts. And if all they care about is re-election, and trust me, it's all they care about, well, you're going to get this kind of answer every time. So, so you, as the people, you've got to come up with better incentives or make the current ones much more painful than they now are.
1: Yeah, and this is really important because too many people think the answer to our problems is electing the right people. We just my have my to get eye's right going to pop out and... if
2: I hear that one more time.
1: God. Yeah, that's not the pro. The problem is the incentives themselves. You can populate the entire thing with saints, and you'll still have this outcome.
0: Right. So that let's talk about the. I the, heard the word budget in there from James. I know that this new stimulus bill, 1.9 trillion or whatever it is, I know that. I don't know. Anthony, you probably went. You probably went crazy. As an economist, it's just like your head probably exploded. I'm numb to it now. Yeah, I know. Yeah. A trillion yeah. here, a trillion there. Yeah, like... What could possibly go wrong? Right. Who's going to pay this back? We could just print some more and make the dollar even less valuable. Um, but I, I was blown away with, because I, I, I didn't read the whole thing, obviously, because I, I saw a clip of Tulsi Gabbard. She was upset because they texted her, hey, here's the bill. Read it, it's like fifty six hundred pages you have till tomorrow the next day to, to and that's why she voted oh, no, against I, it. I
2: believe it was four I thought
0: it was four hours. Oh yeah, it might have been like the next like couple hours or the next day. Yeah, yeah which is insane. Insane. Right. So well, but it's not though, right? Because Corey, think back.
2: When when they passed the Affordable Care Act, somebody got all over Nancy Pelosi and said, Well, what the hell's in it? And she said, We'll pass it and then you'll find out what's in it. Oh my God. She really said that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she said that she wasn't speaking to the person like we'll pass it you'll find out what's in it. No. She said we have, we have to pass it to figure out what's in it.
2: Yeah. What? Well, yeah. look, it's not possible to have read it. It's just not possible. So what do they do? They start with a bare-bones thing that's made its way through committee. They jack it up with all kinds of extraneous nonsense. It gets to 5,200, 5,300 pages. They pass it knowing that nobody will ever check in time and will be on to the next outrage a couple of days from now anyway. Wow. Right. And,
1: and they can cheer and say they've overhauled health care and get reelected. Yeah. And by the time we figure out what was in it, well, but, you know, they're on to the next thing. They've already yeah. been reelected.
2: And And thinking back to where we started just now, um, are you better off now that Obamacare is is there? The law of no, nobody's better off, right? you're You're at best moving sideways and at worst way underwater on that thing. And this is this is really interesting because we were promised um,
1: repeatedly, not once, this is repeatedly, we were promised that the Affordable Care Act would reduce the cost of health care and I forget what he said, but he he mentioned specific numbers. It was like by $2,000 per household. Reduce the cost of health insurance and everyone would be insured.
2: My cost of insurance.
1: Here we are all these years later, and you can look at the, you could track the average price of health insurance across time. And it's rising, rising, rising at a very steady, almost a straight line. We get to the Affordable Care Act, and it keeps on rising at the exact same rate. Nothing changed. And right. when you look at the number of insured people, yes, it is the case there are fewer uninsured people by like 10 or 15 million, but we're nowhere near zero. We're still at like 20 million people uninsured. So all this stuff we were promised just didn't materialize. Oh, right. But we and
2: did get a huge new government agency out of it. Well, that's all that really matters, right? And, and look, I can tell you that my healthcare costs quadrupled. Quadrupled, four times, and it was expensive to begin with. I was already paying like six, eight thousand dollars at the point at the point of inception here, and that got up over thirty. When the it was so high, it was so fucking high that I had to make the calculated judgment of not having insurance. It was cheaper for me to pay the fine.
0: Uh, Yeah, Mm -hmm.
2: a lot cheaper. So I paid the fine. I'm like, well, fuck it. I can't afford the insurance. I'll pay the fine. And you know, I couldn't really afford that either, frankly, at the time. But there, but there it was. And, and, you know, you, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor, my ass, where, where have you been that you would say that I can't keep, I can't keep a doctor for
0: any more than a year. Apparently. Same. I know it's constant. I, it's funny. I, I was sold on Obamacare simply because of uh, I have a preexisting heart condition. I've had three open heart surgeries. So uh, as an adult, it was very difficult for me to get insured. I could kind of stay on my mom's when I was a kid, but as an adult, it was very difficult without you know a year or two of them at a job and this and that. And as a freelance filmmaker, uh, definitely didn't have someone paying for my insurance until I got like a, a real job in that field. But I've never paid more out-of-pocket for healthcare just because I also have to go to my cardiologist at Children's in D.C. and like all these ridiculous things which make the cost go even higher. I can't just have a normal primary. I have to have all these other things it's insane it's 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 like paying two rents every month basically
1: yeah right yeah it's crazy notice notice the interesting thing here you're talking about the pre-existing condition and the fact that you know you change jobs and and that creates problems which we all understand and we understand it at such a base level we forget that it's not supposed to be that way we lose you lose your insurance when you change employers That's weird. I don't lose my car insurance. I don't lose my home insurance when I change employers. And the reason we do is because the federal government back in the forties and fifties imposed uh, price controls on wages. It told employers, you may not pay your workers more than a certain amount. And so what did employers do? They said, well, I got to attract talent. I'm not allowed to pay them more. I'll pay your health insurance. And all of a sudden health insurance became part of your job. Because it was the market trying to deal with this restriction that government placed on them. And now, what does the government do? It turns around and says, Look, we've got pre existing condition problems. Yes, we do. You caused them.
0: Right. <laughs> I remember yeah. you telling me that on our first time that I, I didn't even know why. I always wondered why, like, everyone's like, Oh, yeah, I got a great job. It's got great health care. I'm like, What? Like, it's always been like a good thing, you know? And it's a yeah. shame that it has to be a good thing for you to have you know, a healthy life and be able to, you know, have coverage. That's insane. Well, what is the, so as far as the stimulus bill goes, um, aside from the healthcare and stuff like that, I was trying to understand like why there's so much money. And I, and like, you kind of answered it already of like, they just throw things in there that we're going to catch a year or two from now or four or five years from now, there's a, a, an enormous amount of cash going to places uh like iran or pakistan with like gender courses and gender studies and all these things that have nothing to do with covid vaccinations or helping the american people get through this pandemic is nothing to do with covid and all these countries are getting billions of dollars i think it was like 176 billion dollars going to the u.s people and then like like six or 500 billion going to like foreign countries how and why is that possible i'm pretty sure those numbers are incorrect i guarantee you they're incorrect they're coming from me
2: we tend not to spend that much internationally right our um our foreign aid budget is a drop in the bucket compared to the, what we really spend everywhere else and what you find is that most people rail against the foreign aid budget when they see that we have a, a budget deficit to begin with but it wouldn't make any difference. And what we're really buying—it's not humanitarian money that we're sending. We're buying political obedience, so we're keeping people on the hook in foreign countries um, to keep them acting in line with American interests. So it's always a little more nefarious than it sounds. But right? that is a—that is a bullshit way to go about your business as a country. But we've been doing it for years. And I remember living in Iraq, seeing the State Department people come rolling up, and the deference they were paid by the locals. Right? It was it was really quite something. Um, so don't yeah don't don't lose your mind about the foreign money. Lose your mind about what kind of foreign money. And I I also read the gender studies nonsense. I think that was going to Afghanistan or Pakistan. Um, you know things like this are just asinine. But that that's people with hobby horses, kind of running into the discussion to get what they want, and they're able to get what they want because it's so little, comparatively speaking. So if somebody says, I'll give you my vote on this stimulus package, if you give me $10 million to to fund a bunch of nonsense back in my district, that's a deal that's going to get made every time. And then you have to look, and then people say, well, look at what the Democrats do. They, They spend all their money on this. I can guarantee you that it was a way to buy a vote. When it's, and the more ridiculous it gets, the more likely it was to have, been, to have bought a vote in the past. So really don't lose your mind about that. Lose your mind about whether we needed a stimulus package or not in the first place. And Ant, you, you ran some numbers on this. Do you have them at your disposal? Um, well, I, I was thinking, I don't know if this is the one you were thinking of,
1: but what annoyed me about the stimulus package, we said, okay, we need $4 trillion. This was back in April, May, $4 trillion uh, in stimulus. And, and what happens? There's a bunch of money goes here, goes there, and um, people got checks for a couple hundred dollars, something, and, but do the math. Step back and think about this for a minute. We have 320 million people in this country. For $4 trillion, the government could have cut every single one of us a check for 10,000 bucks. So if you're in a household with five people, that's $50,000. Every man, woman, and child could have gotten $10,000. Now, what do you do with that? Some people save it. Some people spend it. Some people invest it. But that would have taken care of the matter. People, that would have stimulated the economy. That money would have come back to businesses. But what did the people get? They got a couple hundred bucks and you know,
2: per household. And then all of the politicians who made sure they got that, Made sure all of their cronies got quite a lot more in the form of all these other disbursements. Yep. Right. So, if if you accept as fact, and, and I'm not sure I do, but what, what the hell? If you accept as fact that the government should be putting money in the pockets of the people, given all of the inputs that we had, well, okay. I'm. I can. I can see that. I might not have done it myself, but it doesn't. It's not crazy. What's crazy is that you take the least efficient way and choose that. Mm-hmm. What would have made the most sense is you choose the most efficient manner possible to get money from the government coffers into the people's hands. And the way to make that happen was always a direct payment to people. That's always the correct answer. So when you hear people whining about welfare and they say what we should do is just give people the government cheese and the government butter and things like this. No, what you should do is give them money. Because it's the most efficient thing you can do. And then they, knowing the, the interior realities of their lives, they should spend that money as they see fit. They know what they need. Government doesn't, right? And there you go. So you know we're, we're saying that this money should have been given out directly, and, and Ant runs the numbers to prove that it would have been a very, very sizable amount of money going into everybody's hands. And, of course, that's not what they wanted. They didn't want to help people they wanted to look good to appear mm-hmm. as if they helped people and that's it and a bunch of special interests got their pockets filled with this money before the people did well of course they did these are politicians we're talking about and until we demand better we'll never get better
0: right that's well that's that's kind of that's the road i wanted to go down was because i saw i think i saw and when you posted that the the numbers were just insane to me and every man woman and children there they put so many regulations i didn't even get either one of the stimuluses and i'm like hey how i didn't make that much money to not qualify so whether i fell through the cracks or not i don't didn't it didn't kill me because 1200 bucks isn't that's a drop in the bucket to all my bills and what i have to do on a monthly basis anyway so i can only imagine with someone else who's struggling very, you know, I'm lucky enough to keep my job and to have my job, but how are we even, how do we, uh, you know, demand more? Cause like, I, I think it was so like eye opening and obvious that they did not give a shit about the American people just from the amounts that they were throwing around when you do the basic math of, well, four trillion divided by 320 million doesn't equal 600 bucks. <laughs> right.
1: Right, yeah, exactly. And you know the, the fact of the matter is, and James is absolutely correct, they're, they're, the politicians' goal almost always is not to solve a problem. It's to appear to be solving a problem so that they can actually solve their own problem, which is how to get elected. So and, and once you realize that, you realize that actually, in a perverse way, politicians have an incentive for problems to persist. Because the longer a problem persists, the more they can use it and say, yeah, we try, I tried my best to solve this. We couldn't solve it, but elect me one more time because I've got a new idea. We're going to solve it this time. And, and hence yep. you have, as we do, you know, the, the debt that goes on and on, the people in jail that go on and on, regardless of, of which party's in control. As long as the problem persists, politicians can keep using it to get reelected.
2: And Ant and I wrote about this phenomenon in the in, in our recent book, Cooperation and Coercion, where we talked about um, the government's war on three nouns terror, poverty, and drugs. Um, we did, we ran the numbers on this too, and how much do you think we've spent on those three wars against nouns? And it was yeah, almost but- it was almost exactly the the, the federal debt. It was twenty-two or right. so trillion dollars back when the federal debt was twenty-two or so trillion dollars. So we we have been fighting these wars yeah. for a very long time.
1: Yeah, that's the total amount of money that we've spent on all well, was it well welfare programs combined uh, since the inception was roughly equal to what we have in the federal debt now.
2: It's crazy, and, and, and every, what's happened? And every,
1: our 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 poverty rate hasn't changed. From, you know, it was dropping, it was actually dropping in this country precipitously up until Johnson started the war on poverty. And at that point, the poverty rate flattened out at about 13%, and that's where it's been ever since. Yep. We've spent if over you... $20 trillion in the war on poverty, and the poverty numbers are exactly where they
2: have always been. And, and I, I say this all the time when I talk about the war on drugs, how successful do you think that was going to be in the first place, given that the American people, indeed people all over the earth, want them? And as long as people want something, it's going to, it's going to keep going. And, I, you know, I, I, I always give this example to older people who want to keep prosecuting this war. I say, well, look, we can go to a city that I've never been in. And you could bring me to the downtown area, and we'll go to a restaurant for dinner, and I can walk out of that restaurant with whatever drug I want as long as I can get into the kitchen. Because that's where, that's where people who do drugs end up working. Uh, anybody who's ever worked high-end restaurant work knows what the kitchen is like. And I'm telling you, you can get whatever you want in three minutes. And if you can't get it there, just start asking 15-year-olds outside where to get it and you'll be able to get it then. In fact, half the country now is thrown in the towel on marijuana legislation. They don't even wanna hear it anymore because who cares? I mean, honestly, who gives a shit that, that you're locking people up for a funny weed that you don't like? But you know, we're gonna be here for quite some time and we're gonna dump good money after bad down this hole and we'd be far better off just stopping, but who's got the incentive to keep it going? tough-on-crime legislators. That's how they get elected. They, they tell their their constituents, I locked those bastards up when they were bothering you here in your nice homes. Right? Now, what's where do these people never talk about being tough-on-crime? In the places where there is crime. You never see them go into a, a, a low-income neighborhood talking about tough-on-crime nonsense. Right? That's what you say in the high-income neighborhood because that's what those people are,
0: are afraid of. And this gets more disgusting the more you think about it. It really does. It really does. I've been watching a lot of, I know it's documentaries and stuff, but just hearing a lot of podcasts and people talking about uh, the war on drugs and like how you know certain countries like Spain or in other countries just never like criminalized you know like major stuff like heroin and cocaine and all this other stuff, and you know they haven't really had any problems. But it was more of like a an incentive, like you're saying, to to make money and keep you know putting certain people down i I think it was and and it's just crazy to me that like if i don't know do you think the federal government should step in at that point and like regulate it like did alcohol and all that other stuff i mean would that you know bring money into the economy would that kind of like make everything just you know it's kind of crazy that you go to jail for putting something in your own body in america it's kind of crazy so yeah it's it's insane so i mean but the regulation angle
2: the regulation angle doesn't exactly play here because we we didn't regulate alcohol back when we had a a constitutional amendment to give us prohibition because everybody stipulated at the time that the federal government might wanted to have done this, but it didn't have the power to do this. So they went out, they got a constitutional amendment passed, and then they banned alcohol from the amendment. Um, Some years later, people looked around and said, this is just fucking ridiculous, and they had another amendment giving alcohol back um, but So if you look at drugs, you have to know if the government needed a constitutional amendment to ban, the, the, uh, the, to ban ownership of alcohol, it would also need the same kind of amendment to ban ownership of drugs. And, and no amendment comes to mind, right? None of them do this. Uh, this is purely a legislative play, and then it's an executive branch play. So where's the honesty in the, in the system? It's nowhere to be found. Not surprising. Right, and and I think all drugs should be legal. What? Why on earth do? We, why on earth do we make this class okay and not that class? Um, but then again, look, I can tell you, I've been to Amsterdam a number of times, and their rules are reasonably clear. That if it's natural, you can have it, and if it's the end, if it's at the end of a production line, you can't. So what can you have? You can have marijuana, hashish, and mushrooms. What can't you have? Heroin and um, crack and things like this. And you can see where that distinction actually makes a fair amount of sense when you know how these things work. Um, so I could go for that too. If you wanted to find middle ground, I could go for that. But barring all ownership across the entire country, by what standard, by what right do, do they even claim to, to do this? And meanwhile, they've got marijuana on the same schedule as cocaine. I mean, come on. How clueless do you have to be? Those are people who never tried either one of those things that put them in, in the same list. right? <laughs> and, and everybody who's tried both of those things knows that they're not even close to the same. I'm not, I'm not saying I speak from personal experience here, but I speak, I speak from personal experience here. Um, and it, it just gets revolting when, when you see how politicians politicize these things because what they're politicizing is ruining people's lives. And how can you do that without? How do you look yourself in the mirror when you? I just don't get it. These are terrible, terrible people. Well, you know, we could get to, to lizards soon okay, no. if we must. <laughs> <laughs> if we must,
0: we don't got to go down that route. But all right, well, Anthony, tell me what 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 are your what are your projections for our new stimulus bill? You know, trillion here, trillion there. Do you like? What do you see happening if they really now they're talking about giving every household over a year uh, three thousand dollars per child uh, in monthly payments? Um, I just like I think I agree with you, I agree with you guys. If you're gonna do it and you take government money that way, they should just give us a, ca- a check for ten grand every single one of us instead of giving money to all these other places. But you know, it's just crazy that they think a uh, twelve hundred dollar check and a six hundred dollar check eighteen hundred dollars. For we're going on a year now, can do anything for anyone in the entire country when you know $15 an hour can't even let uh, you know, whatever the stat is, a single mom pay for a two bedroom apartment, right? I don't know if that's true anymore, but I yeah. remember that was like a, a big thing. Like, how, how, how does that happen, and where do we go from here as far as like the economic side of things?
1: Well, in, ter- in terms of what we can expect, I think we have seen the last of sub trillion dollar deficits. I think trillion dollar plus deficits are, are going to be forever more. In in fact, if if Biden indeed gets the kind of stimulus he's looking for now, and we repeat it maybe one more year, two plus trillion dollar deficits may be the norm. Um, you know, last this past year in 2020, the federal government's the federal government's deficit was higher than its than its revenue. So it brought in like whatever it was, three more than twice as high. It brought in roughly 3 to $4 trillion in revenue. That's all revenue combined. And it spent like 6000000000000 $6 to $7 trillion in, in spending. It was ungodly. Now, we won't have that much spending this year, but I think we're going to have a lot. And you know, it's going to come from printing money. You mentioned the $3,000 per kid. I'd actually forgotten about that proposal. The one that's big on my radar right now is forgiving student loan debts. I'm afraid that's going to go. And, and if that goes through, we open up a huge can of worms. Because what he's proposing is to, to give uh, $10,000 worth of forgiveness to, to student loans, uh, $10,000 per student. Well, what about the students next year who are just starting college? And they're gonna say, Well, where's my money? These guys got their loans forgiven to the ten tune of ten thousand. I want mine forgiven. And so we're gonna start the sequence of, you know, every year it's gonna be ten thousand dollars of forgiveness. And then you're gonna have you know the people who worked hard, um, worked two jobs to pay cash for college, saying quite rightly, How come I sacrificed so that I didn't have debt and these guys got their debt forgiven, I get nothing. And then you're gonna have the homeowners raising their hands saying, well, wait a minute, you're saying student loan debt is a problem. Have you looked at mortgage debt? Our mortgages need to be forgiven. And you, you open up this, this apparently unending um, um, sequence of people with their hands out saying, we want our, our debt forgiven. Now, if we get to the point, and I'm I think we're getting there, if we get to the serious point that people are comfortable with the government printing money, good God, they're just going to print it and they're going to be paying off all of this stuff. And you, it, that will come back to haunt all of us very, very quickly in the form of pretty massive inflation.
0: Yeah. And that's what I thought when this, the student debt thing, I was like, well, what happens if I already paid my student debt the last three or four years? Well, do I get a check for $10,000? Right.
1: Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, what we, its its a weird thing. If you wanted to design government policy that encouraged people to behave irresponsibly, it would look exactly like this: penalize the people who behave responsibly and reward the people who behave irresponsibly.
0: Right. Well, does that? Yeah, and, it's literally as bad as it can be. Right. And and I think like you know, as far as big government and and small government goes, the more and more we get more comfortable as a society allowing. Governments to basically fit the bill for our mistakes or our bad decisions or whatever it is, it becomes easier for them to infiltrate our day to day, right? Because I remember you told me, Anthony, that like you know the president really doesn't have that much to do with your everyday life. Or it was James? I think it's James said that to me last time. Which I'm, a, it's always like, oh, the president's going to change my life, and then I look back on my life, I'm like, wait, none of these guys just really changed. Like how I live my life or anything day to day. I know they may for other, you know, demographics of people, whatever, but in a nutshell, like it doesn't really make that big of a difference. I think um, you said your local people are really what care, but, you know, my first question was kind of, you know, does that open the gate, the floodgates of the government just coming in my living room now, regulating whatever I can and cannot do?
1: Well, I I think part of what happens here is if you... If you allow the government to start handing out money for things, you're also simultaneously inviting it to have say in what these things are. So, if the government on a routine basis is going to be forgiving uh, student loan debt for higher education, I imagine pretty quickly you're going to have proposals coming out of Congress to craft what higher education should look like. And they should offer these courses over here and not offer those courses. And it should be, you know, so many credit hours and all of this. And Congress will say, oh no, we understand the federal government doesn't have the authority to dictate what higher education should look like. And we're not dictating it. We're just saying that if your college doesn't look like this, we're not going to forgive your students' loans. And if you want an example of that, I give you the 55 mile an hour speed limit. Constitutionally, the federal government has no authority to set national speed limits. And Congress knew this back when it set the national 55. What did it do? It didn't say every state has to have a 55 mile an hour speed limit. It said it's up to the states. You set your own speed limit. But if it's higher than 55, you're not getting highway funds.
2: Level of compliance, 100%. What? Yep. Yep. That's exactly what happened. (laughs)
0: It's so fucked
2: up, man. <laughs> yeah, it was. It, it was a concerted effort, right? It was. It was in the nineteen eighties, and we just browbeat the states into agreeing. And you, and you come to find out there are any number of things like exactly like this. Well, of course there are. That's the path of least resistance, which is exactly what politicians are looking for. Once you once you start taking
1: government money, you invite the government to dictate how that money is spent.
2: Yeah, and it was really quite hilarious with the, um, with the speed limit deal because the immediate justification was we have to um, break our dependence on foreign oil. And if you drive slower, it will be more efficient and you won't use as much fuel. Um, when that didn't land with the American people, then you get 55 saves lives. That was, right. This was a nationwide compl- uh, compliance advertisement, right? Fifty-five sa- saves lives, and then a bunch of assholes like Antony, who look at data, made the over the the um, not hard to understand conclusion that in all the places that lowered their speed limit to get to fifty-five, death rates have gone up. What? So did it? Yeah, did it break our our reliance on foreign oil? Nope, far from it. Did it save lives? Uh, no. Oh my God! So why the hell did we have it? We had it because it's what politicians
0: wanted. Wanted, yeah. Jesus Christ! Dig a little bit, you'll always, you'll always see this kind of crap in the end. That's so. So then, as far as the college debt, like, what's the argument? I always hear people um, say, and I, I've kind of felt, I've kind of tried to think this way too, of like, well, college is more expensive. Back in the day, you could work a summer job, a part-time job, even, and pay your way through college. Now. You can't. So is that even true? You know, is that why people are so like, well, my my school cost a hundred thousand dollars, and forty years ago it cost fifty thousand dollars. You know what I mean?
1: Look, the cost of tuition has gone up. There's no question about that. But when people when people cite the high cost of tuition, what they're often doing is picking an Ivy League school and the sticker price. Nobody right. pays the sticker price. That the average college student today pays less than half of the quoted sticker price, and the, the and other, the rest of it comes in the form of scholarships and grants from from the university itself. So you can you can get a very good college education um, for for pennies on the dollar if you just shop correctly.
2: No, that's right. And and that stumbled right into the real issue, right? When you said Ivy League institutions, well. If you're looking to pay your way through school, that's not where you're gonna go. It's just that simple. Now, if you're a resident of Arizona, if you're an Arizonan, uh, you can go to any one of our our, our major universities, state universities here in state for $12,000 a year. Uh, If you can't make $12,000 a year in a part-time job, you're doing it wrong, right? Now, there's other things that come into this, right? You're gonna have to figure out where you're gonna live and how you're gonna eat and, and where the books are coming from. But if we look at tuition as the driving factor, it's really not. Not here, not at that level. And you poke around in the states and you start to realize that almost, every, not every state, but almost every state has a pretty good option at the state school level. Uh, I, went, I, I went to a state school because, stay with me now, it's all I could afford back then. I was every bit as smart then as I am now. That had nothing to do with it. What I needed was a place I could afford and the state school in state was the only one I could afford, and I was damn happy to be there, right? Yeah, there were people at Yale 50, 60 miles away, and good for them. That was never a possibility for me, and, and I'm, I'm in league with reality enough to admit that. It may not be fair, but you've got to admit it when it happens, right? Well, why are we always talking about Duke and Stanford and Yale and Harvard? Why aren't we talking about the University of North Carolina, the University of Connecticut, University of Arizona? These are perfectly good schools. And almost everybody can afford them. Why? Because that was their mission in the first place. They're large land grant universities designed to be cheap.
1: And remember, we, we keep using this word, and I do as well. We keep using the word afford. That's not the right word. The right word is finance. And everybody can finance a college education. By finance, I mean you can go and you can get loans that will pay for the college education. So everybody down to the poorest American right now can obtain the loans necessary to go to college. Now paying them back, that's another matter. That's where the word afford comes in. And it turns out that pretty much everybody can afford to pay back their student loans provided that they've majored in something that has market value. So when you see on the news, you know, people saying, I have, you know, I'm $80,000 in debt and all I can do is get this minimum wage job at Starbucks and this isn't fair. They never ask what the person majored in. And I guarantee you, those aren't finance majors. Those aren't engineering majors. Damn, yeah. that's right. Yeah. No, those are Elisab-
2: those are Elizabethan poetry majors, right? It's, it's something that the market doesn't care about or doesn't need. Now, you can go to school and study those things. And in no small way, I did that myself. You study what's important to you, but you better have a backup plan for when you're looking for work.
1: Now, you've, you praised us for our, um, for our predictions. So I'm going to give you another one. We'll see if this one comes mm-hmm. true. And my prediction is, if indeed we go forward with this $10,000 loan forgiveness, I guarantee you very quickly you're going to see college tuition rising by about $10,000. That's right. Because what universities are going to do is realize that all of a sudden, the federal government has dumped $10,000 into graduate into students laps. So we can now charge more.
2: Yeah, how do we how do we find a way to to rake that right into our bank accounts? I think that goes without saying, I'm going to give you a a longer shot of a prediction. Um, I, I say that if the student loan thing happens, and I have every reason to believe it's going to, it's, it's a terrible idea that will harm lots of people, so of course that's what we're <laughs> going to do. Of course it is. But after after we do that, I predict that within three years of that day, you're going to see a very serious movement to get people off the hook of their mortgages. There's going to be some kind of Mortgage Relief Act of of 20-whatever. Right, and because if you can do it with a, with a college student, you can absolutely do it with a mortgage. Those are not different things in in the world, right? Those are the same thing. It's well, debt. That actually,
1: we're it's it's easier doing it with a the mortgage. There's an asset on the other side that has yeah, market well. value.
2: And, and, and look, I, I, I looked this up not too long ago, and I believe that mortgages, mortgage debt outpaces college loan debt by, what, a factor of 8 or 10?
1: Yeah, I think it's a rough ballpark 10 to 1, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. so you know, there's a lot more people with mortgages. Of course, here's the difference. When people take out a mortgage, they ask some basic questions like, will I be able to repay this? And when people take out student loans, they ask other questions. Where can I go to school with this? Can I go to Harvard? Yeah, this is what and and the idea of being responsible for college students very rarely plays. We've got a bunch of eighteen and nineteen year olds out making bonehead decisions. Well, of course they're they're eighteen and nineteen. Every eighteen year old makes bonehead decisions, but now we're going to start forgiving the debt that comes with those bonehead decisions, and you can bet that there's all hell going to break loose from that.
0: Right. No, I could totally see that happening. And honestly, I know the, I don't know if it's like a testing thing, but like the rent forgiveness and all these things that are happening right now with the pandemic, like landlords are like right now, if I if I didn't pay my rent right now, which I have for the last, I mean, ever since i lived here, but during the pandemic, like I don't know how much that would have, I wouldn't have gotten in trouble. I wouldn't have been evicted. I couldn't have been kicked out. Like there's a lot of things that, wouldn't have happened otherwise, it being a pandemic. So you know, I don't know if this might be like a test phase or something with that, but like what's gonna happen with that? Like if my if I didn't pay my landlord the whatever thousands of dollars it is every month, and then our lease is up in May and I move out, am I responsible for that? Can I just say the with the pandemic?
2: Well, can can he say that? Because he's gonna make the exact same argument. He's got a mortgage to pay, you've got rent to pay. Turns out it's the same building.
1: <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So what happens is, you know, we allow renters not to pay rent, and the next thing you know is the renters are going to be kicked out by the bank, right. which is repossess the building.
2: Wow. And, and that's shit. just how it is, right? I mean, most landlords live a very, um, very difficult hand-to-mouth kind of life. They they build up uh, an interest in an asset, right? They, they're property owners that they pay for over time, but when they're in year ten of a thirty-year mortgage, right? They've got to make those payments, and if everybody stops paying rent the same day for whatever the reason, doesn't even matter what the reason is, they're going to have a lot of trouble making their note. And if they can't make their note, the bank will re- repossess, and you'll be out on the streets. So will the landlord. So we finally found a way that everybody can lose, so you can bet that's what we're going to do.
1: And and where does you know, all of this comes from? comes from people who, who mean well. but but are more interested in tweaking the system than they are in understanding why the system is the way it is. And so you have people who, who see all these renters giving these checks to landlords month after month. And in their minds, the landlords have built up this stock of gold and they swim in it back here. It doesn't occur to anybody that the landlord, that money turns right around into fixing the roof and to repainting the place, into paying the mortgage, whatever it is. It, it, there is there is no pile of money. That money is going into maintaining the building that they're paying rent for.
0: Right, right, right. Damn, yeah, all right, well, that's crazy. We've been at it for like a, an hour now. Look at us. It Do gets guys... a little depressing towards the end, right? you got depressing. our
1: dander up now.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like, I'm going to friggin... Super depressing. Well, so so I get it. You guys are, are not big government.
1: No, not really. No, <laughs> Duh. no it, it, and let, let me underline that for a moment because people often confuse when we say we're not big government, they think that we don't want all these things that people want, and that's not it at all. Um, you know, I, I think it would be great if we had a system in which you know people were ta- people who were needy were taken care of, and we had good education, all of that. Our point is that humans are imperfect, fallible creatures. And if we do this in a market environment where there's constant feedback and people are held accountable for their decisions, we can achieve all these wonderful things in, in, the, in a low-cost, high-efficiency way. But if we ask government to do it with those same imperfect humans, all of a sudden, we set up a system where the the incentives are all perverse. There's not that feedback mechanism. There's not the the um, the built-in incentives. If you do the job right, you get rewarded, and if you do it poorly, you get kicked out on your butt. It's actually quite the opposite. If you do the job poorly, you get more. Uh, you can command more uh, tax revenue to be used for this thing because oh, if we only spent more money, we could really solve the problem.
0: Right. Damn, you guys are smart. <laughs> And so, still, so we don't have good answers right?
1: it's not it's not that we don't want these things it's that we want these things done via markets rather than done via
0: government right right agree what the markets completely. asking for or showing right
2: yeah right yeah I couldn't agree more you pick the one thing that we could agree on
0: wholesale I was gonna say that's like the one thing the one time that both of you guys are like yeah that's <laughs> all right cool well Do you have any new books coming out or anything that you
2: guys want to... We should probably get around to writing another one. But you can buy our first one anytime you want. Uh, It's called Cooperation and Coercion with a big, long subtitle that even I haven't memorized yet. So uh, available at Amazon and every other online place that sells books. Check
1: out our podcast, Words and Numbers. James, you want to talk about your presidential run?
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, Duh, please. Oh well just just a teaser right now, right i'm I'm actually ahead of the fact developing um a suite of people that will act as cabinet members. So not only will I in- introduce myself as a potential candidate, I'll have already picked a cabinet by the time I do it. so we're we're gonna we're gonna try and run through the libertarian party and we'll see what happens.
0: like legit. Oh yeah,
2: oh shit. Yeah, I'm in the mood to do something serious instead of you know what we usually do. So yeah, 2024. I'm already we're already working on it. Uh, Anthony, would you like to tell them? I will. Ant will of course be vice president, and then after two terms, Hilbert, and, and I can leave. Um, I think we can all. Why don't we just admit right now there probably won't be two terms. I'm just saying, but there are <laughs> things that there are things that we can do that might make this a better prospect for everyone. Right. We might be able to drive the conversation to a reasonable place. Because what Anthony and I realized um, during the last fiasco, Trump on the one side and what a dozen or so crackpot Democrats on the other, um, no one, not one person in the march, in, in all of the debates, in all of the political ads, not one person talked about the federal debt. Yep. Can you even believe that? $30 trillion and nobody can even bother to mention it? people need to kiss my ass that's all I'm going to talk about and we're going to talk about it like reasonable intelligent people um, and hopefully the other people in the other parties will take notice and adopt a similar approach right? because that's the approach we need we don't need people giving lip service to these things we need people who want to deal with them and it's becoming impossible to deal with it we probably don't have much longer where it's even a possibility remote though it may be that we could deal with the federal debt it's gotten that bad
0: Jesus. Well, hopefully with you even talking about it, we'll, That's the hope. we'll bring in That's the, the, the topic yeah. of everyone else that has the big names and this and that to kind of yeah. make it more apparent.
2: And, you know, if people don't listen at first, we're just going to say it louder because somebody needs to pay attention to this. I love so, that. yeah, there it is. Uh, also, and we should probably tell them our Twitter Twitter handles. Mine is at James R. Harrigan. And mine is at Anthony Davies.
0: No put H that, in the Anthony. I'll put it in the uh in the description for sure. Yeah, that'd be great. Um hey, Corey, it was really you. great coming. It was
2: really great <laughs> hanging out with you for a little bit today.
0: Definitely. I really appreciate okay. it. Um thank you so much sure. for uh coming on, and that's another episode of the E4 Explicit Podcast. I'll see you next time. See you later, Corey.